Welcome to Reanimated, everybody. This is episode 306. My name is Stuart. I am in California. We're also joined this morning by one Kyle Diaz up in the beautiful green state of Washington. Hi, Stuart. Yes, I, I am indeed in, in Washington and it is green. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> Started to backslide into Oregon, but I'm glad that I landed <laughs> on the right state. Pacific Northwest. And, and coming at us from the much later in the day, East Coast is the inimitable AJ Conrad in New York. How are you? I'm great and no less sleepy. And I'm drinking some coffee. It's a fantastic morning. Well, we're um, here on Reanimated. Always glad when Kyle can can join us. And since he was the one who said, oh, hey, just guess what? Midnight Mass. Uh, I banged it all out in one sitting. Is kind of what you made it sound like, even if that's not true, Kyle. Um, we were like, okay. So all the better that you can be along for um, some of this review or recap series we're doing. So thank you yeah, for being here. Excited to dive into it with you guys because I really enjoyed it and I was excited when when you decided to cover it on the show. Have you heard our our first two episode um, ruminations? Did, yes. So I so I I caught up with your initial thoughts and impressions, and I kind of forgot how I know we're supposed to get into news and stuff, but I forgot how slow of a burn it was. So I appreciate you sticking <laughs> sticking with it until the reanimation starts because I don't. There's not a lot of reanimating those first two episodes. We weird fans, I think of a of a little slow burning here and yep. there. Um, yeah, but yeah. So like you said, there is some news, so we'll uh, we'll, we'll bang it out. We will proceed with the news. Uh, H.A., do you have any, um, have you read this AV Club article? That um... Yeah, I mean, I think people are really, I'm not shocked that this is uh, something that Netflix did greenlight, but they, re- they they basically have given the go ahead for a prequel to, to, um, to Army of the Dead and then also a sequel of it as well. Um, and basically it was, you know, look, it was where it was. It was a good monster film in the middle of summer. It didn't take itself too seriously. And I'm not shocked to see that they do this, but apparently people get like really worked up about it. But there were a whole, there was a whole bevy of other products associated <laughs> with that film, even before right. it came out, like the animated sequel series, I think is also one of the things right. that we have yet to see anything of, but army of the Th- army of thieves is actually right. on Netflix. Now, I think as of yesterday, maybe yeah. I-, I have not taken the time to watch it, Me but either. I did find uh, the, um, indignance of this AV Club article headline to be the funniest, which was why the hell did Netflix screen light really, a zombie really light? Mad about it. Um, they wanted they wanted more zombies and I get it. I do too, well, but it's also like, I don't know, like like as anybody <laughs> like that's the biggest part of a budget is to do that kind of makeup and um look, they were teasing Army of the Dead for I mean, we had been talking about it for so long before it even finally came out. And I just don't, you know, generally with these kinds of things, they want to get things out as quickly as possible. And that's certainly not going to be a huge budget for it. They just want it out and packaged and done. And I suspect that's probably what happened here. Um, And also, since it's a prequel, you're not going to have quite as much monster action anyway, because they're just it's a story leading up. Right. So. Um, but anyway, uh, I'm still going to watch it <laughs> and I'll certainly watch the sequel. Um, Apparently there's a little more, um, a couple more tidbits released by Snyder that, that suggested that the next, the sequel planet of the dead could feature the character of uh, Dieter. In, which seems a little unlikely because he was, he, How well, is that? it seemed like he was pretty work. dead at the end of the, of the yeah, first and film. I didn't, I didn't see that 
there was a possibility of. Eh, well, I guess we'll find out. I guess we will. Army of the Dead wasn't really my cup of tea, um, but uh, it was phenomenally successful for Netflix by all accounts. You, you just hate re- you hate aliens reimaginations. Is that what's happening? I think that that is like an example of like a uh, an idea like a concept in a screenplay that is like 100% tonally unsuited to its director like basically <laughs> there are so many people who would have had so much fun with that concept and then there's Zack Snyder where like fun and like it's not ex- exactly his wheelhouse and so I just <laughs> I just think it like well, so we we've talked a bit about Zack Snyder and I do think that he gets too much I think people love to hate him Mm-hmm. And I do think visually he does a really good job at certain things, but I do think that he always needs somebody else to balance him out. Yeah. And I think that probably would have been a little better here um, because I just, you know, I think he, he took an idea and sort of like did, did his Zack Snyder thing. Um, but overall, I still like him. He still produces stuff. He gets stuff out there. So I can't be too upset about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, one of my biggest things with him is that it's sort of like even with like Dawn of the Dead, it's like he gets certain things so right and then just destroys everything else. (laughs) And I think this was a very good example of such a thing. But overall, I did enjoy this for what it was, which was a ridiculous, insane set piece of a zombie film. Yeah, I I just think I I was sitting there being like, you know, Army of the Dead. as imagined by like Edgar Wright would be just like such a different feel than this movie. Although I did like the Snyder cut of the justice league. And I think he is a really visually, you know, talented director. So Um, I am speaking of Edgar Wright. I am very excited about the fact that he is, I think he's producing. I don't think he's directing, but Lockwood and co. I don't know when it's going to come out, but it's supposed to be at some point this year. And this is one of my favorite ridiculous, like, I guess YA, not quite. I don't know. They term them as children's books, but I don't know that they're quite children's books. Uh, I think you'd have to be a very specific type of child to not be scared by some of these the things in these books. But um, it's kind of like a steampunk London paranormal ride. Um, so we'll have to we'll have to stay tuned for that. Hopefully, it won't be terrible. Is it? Wait, it might be Amazon, not Netflix. So well, either way, we'll keep an eye out. Uh, anything Edgar Wright does. Has, is worth looking at at the very least. Um, also out there was a, a variety article this week f- um, highlighting a, an upcoming zombie film called Summer Hit by a, an auteur named Pablo Stoll. I have zero background on either Pablo Stoll, <laughs> this film. I mean, the, one of the interesting things it's being uh, production is based, I think, in Uruguay. No. Uruguay? Yeah, Uruguay. Yep, on the beaches, and uh, then I think and they're set, also it's set in Latin America, so it's going to be, it'll be that'll be different in the at the very least. Yeah, um, I I saw a couple of stills from it, and it does look like it's fun to shoot. <laughs> so so we'll see how it goes. Um, but um, it's it is a uh, the the director is is terming it as a beach apocalypse that can't be ex- escaped. Um, like those catchy summer songs, hence the name. So, um, you know, oh, yes. Okay. So we'll have to we'll have to see what comes from this. But it looks I, I tried to look up a few stills after after this. We saw this article and I didn't find anything other than like sort of 
the boring filming part of it as opposed to anything else. But we'll have to keep an eye on it and see see what happens. I'm definitely game to watch it. Um, uh, finally, um, last week I probably should have brought this up, but actually uh, I don't remember which day it was. No, it was uh, yeah. There were a couple weeks ago where last weekend GalaxyCon took place. I believe it was virtual. And uh, one of the panels was a Q&A with members of the cast from Black Summer. Uh, and this was a nice mixed bag of cast members, um, including Velez from um, season one. And then a lot of people like Brathwaite, Boone, Mance, Lance, and uh, Zoe Marlette, who plays um, Anne, Anna mm-hmm. in, in season two and one. So it was a, a bit of a Q&A. It's 40, 45-ish minutes long, and we'll have the link in the show notes, but there were some kind of interesting, what was your craziest day on set stories, which it sounds like, and especially after the news about the movie Rust being filmed you know, without Baldwin and everything, that, that tragedy, there were a lot of stories about people getting injured on set. And I know also with the backdrop of the IATSE um, striking and, and they're, you know, they're trying to get, better work working conditions on sets uh a lot of these stories kind of rang against that sort of backdrop to me where people were just getting injured um and not necessarily because there wasn't like an emphasis on safety they tried to make that clear but just because these are crazy scenes they're shooting and we i mean i kyle have you seen black summer both seasons i haven't actually the only reason i know about it is because i think uh, i saw the episodes where you covered it kind of scroll past in my podcast player, but I have not, I don't know anything about black summer at all. Then well, we shouldn't is, say too much. We're not going to get into it other than to say, I'm not shocked that there were injuries and things like that. And I will say that the rust, the tragedy on the rust set, I just think that this is unbelievably avoidable. Like it just total avoid. It can be avoided. But I have heard from a lot of my friends in the industry, especially with um, COVID and some of the things that have been going on. This is always like if people are acting as if this just happened because of the pandemic, um, these kinds of situations on set. And that's not true. Um, people who work in the industry often are asked to do things in very poor working conditions. Um, it just happens that this particular tragedy was uh, like uh, with a really well-known actor. Um and I think um, well, and, and a well-known director of photography, like just well, the- it's it's that, too. But I don't I think if it hadn't been him, it wouldn't be quite as quite as loud. Um, but if it highlights and helps in even prior to this, um, there is there has been a lot of demands by um, the union of um, different. It's like I forget the name of the union, but this I is like it's is it, yes, um, asking for, you know, more breaks, better hours, like, like all sorts of things, um, because that has not been happening for years. So, you know, look, if it, I'm, I'm very sorry that this tragedy happened, but, um, especially with a thing like this, like black summer, and you and I even talked about how much, how difficult some of these scenes must've been to, to shoot because you'd have to do them. I don't think you could do them as many times over as you'd probably need to. And there was a lot of movement, a lot of danger. Um, and this definitely confirms that. Um, although I do think that they did an excellent job and it sounds like people had fun, but they were not. I mean, there's no question that this was a pretty difficult set just for yeah. environmental reasons, in addition to all the crazy stunts and things like that going on. 
Kelsey Flower was also on the the panel and talks about how how much running he had to do. He told some <laughs> stories that I've heard before about how, like being told just to run to the horizon by the director, which is hilarious. And the guy who played Mance, Jesse Lipscomb, who also had a lot of running in the se- se- season two finale, uh, also talked about how he broke a rib during uh, the shooting of those scenes and broke the nose of one of the stuntmen he was uh, hitting with an axe. Um, like who, you know, he hit him a little too much, I guess, but yeah, the crazy stuff, but, but they're, they're being asked to film, you know, these extremely dynamic shots. Um, so well, either way, uh, take a look at, if, if you're interested in black summer and you want to get to, to know some of these actors behind these characters a little better, uh, the dude who played, uh, Brathwaite, uh, Bashir Sylvan is just really, has a lot of really funny stories. Mm -hmm. Um, And Kyle, you should definitely watch it. Yeah, absolutely. It's an amazing series. Uh, now you've got two seasons of it, but it is it's it's a little it's a little bleak. <laughs> it is, but I'm kind of jealous that he has two series to watch and I and I keep recommending it to people and they keep coming back to me. Um really like I can't like you were totally right. That was great, especially the second season. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check it out. Um, we don't know if there's going to be a third season yet. I don't think it's been greenlit, uh, but it was several weeks after first after season one that they approved the second season. So I'm hoping that, uh, you know, holding pressing my thumbs, as they say in Germany. Well, I mean, if they did it for, for you know, Army of the Dead, one would hope. Yeah, right? Well, that, that came out that was born fully realized into a multi level I know, I know. marketing I'm campaign. Kidding. Um, okay, so also in the news of Black Summer cast members, Kelsey Flower single dropped this week. Uh, it's called Run Louie Run, and um, <laughs> it's yeah, it's good. Oh and then goodness! Christine Lee, who plays Sun, uh, also has a single that came out, I think, in the last week or so. And they're very different styles of music. Hers is kind of poppy, and his is a little folky. Um, but the, the, I, then I listened to one or two of her other songs, um, last night and the one that actually was the most amazing was about her cat called Pierre. And let me see if I can find what it was called. Kitty, kitty Pierre. Oh goodness. It's, it's a very funny song. Um, so yeah, I would recommend, uh, to anybody who still wants to get to know the cast of black summer even more go listen to their music kelsey flower who played lance and christine lee who played sun both have new tracks out and kitty kitty pierre is just a funny song uh but with with those bits of you know i'll put the news in air quotes out of the way uh we can get to our recap of episodes three and four of midnight mass and uh what a it was hard to not keep watching after episode four. I'll tell you that much, but I've held true. I didn't. <laughs> oh, you spoiled your appetite. <laughs> I did. I just binged the rest of it. I just couldn't help myself. H.A. Conrad. What are we, mm. do we were having you? this conversation in person. H.A. and I could just exchange knowing glances every occasionally when Stuart's talking. Because <laughs> <laughs> we have knowledge that he does not. Uh, I don't. And so, okay, try to keep it straight. Yep. I will. I will. I will. Um, I think. I think I can do it. So, well, um, let's get a little background from Kyle on why why this show. What what brought you to the show and. Um, did you actually watch it all in one sitting or were, were, how were you able to consume it? 
I didn't watch it all in one sitting. I, I binging for me these days means basically watching an episode a night until it's done. That's, that's the closest I get to binging. Um, when so I binge. <laughs> don't have don't have eight hours anymore with kids around to just like <laughs> bury myself in something anymore. Um, but I got into this show because I am a huge uh, Mike Flanagan fan. I have been following his career for a long time since a movie called Absentia that he made back in like 2010, 2011 um, that I really enjoyed. Um, I really loved Oculus. Uh, he he made a great Ouija movie, which is just insane to me. Um, Dr. Sleep. I just, I, I have really been a, a fan of his for a long time. And I was a particular fan of Haunting of Hill House, the first season, which I just absolutely loved and have actually kind of rewatched multiple times because I, I enjoy it so much. Um, that said, I also think that in addition to being in, a really talented uh, horror director. Flanagan is also kind of frustrating in certain ways. Um, he, he has a, a, a little bit of a, a, an incorrect story sense sometimes. And so like he does things that frustrate me at the same time, but overall I think he's just a really, really uh, talented director and kind of um, along with like maybe a couple of other people, one of the most consistently excellent horror directors working today. Um, and I think Midnight Mass is kind of the most Flanagan-y of, <laughs> of all the things that he's made. Um, and that's kind of like for good and for bad, as we'll probably get into yeah. in the course of the of the uh, next couple episodes. I would agree with you in that I think he is an excellent director. I think he's probably one of the better, better ones out there. Um, mm -hmm. And I do generally like what he does. Um, but there is I have a couple of criticisms in terms of the storyline and sometimes um what i feel is a um, kind of almost like a want to hit you in the face with a specific idea or philosophy rather than be subtle about it yeah if that, that makes sense is that, that is that hitting <laughs> without giving too much away obviously yeah i th i think he he kind of indulges in midnight mass more so yes. than anywhere else in his passion for the the monologue which uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. works in some places and is incredibly affecting and then in other places just totally is a bore and i just kind of like check well, out yeah and in this specific episode that we're about to talk about i think that there is an example of this <laughs> so um and it's it's something that i feel is a sloppy narration or a sloppy way of storytelling because rather than um you know one of the things we were just talking about midnight mass which is a very very different storytelling style um there is very little dialogue um but you get an idea and a very good idea of what's happening without it being hand fed to you. And one of the things I, and, and he doesn't do it all the time, but he, in this, he does definitely indulge in it quite a bit throughout this series. And it gets almost worse as we get further into the series. Um, but he, he indulges in that way of storytelling. And, and to me, that's really not, um, I don't want to say it's not trusting your audience, but it's not sort of it's a very lazy way of getting a story across and filling in background um, as opposed to doing it in a more artful way. I, 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 I think I'm picking up that you didn't enjoy the confession. Is that where is that what we're talking about? It's not that I didn't enjoy it because I think like it 
I think that it was fine. Um, but I think it was when it, so I will admit that when this piece started, I was like, Oh no, is he going to go further down the road with this wave story? Is this what he's going to do? And I was correct. But, um, you know, yes, that's the main thing I'm talking about here. Mm -hmm. Um, I liked aspects of it because I do think that, you know, he's definitely, um, I think he's really trying to create a profile and idea of, of father Paul slash Pruitt. And there's, you know, this is certainly a way to do that, but I think that it would have been more interesting if somehow he was confessing to a real person. This is just him talking and kind of filling to me, just talking and filling in the blanks about what happened to him. Yeah. I could see how that could be a little frustrating. I have a dumb question from a non-Catholic. Um, <laughs> who do priests confess to? Other, other priests. priests? Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess there is no other priest. On it's the like island. shrinks have to get therapy from other shrinks. Yeah. Maybe. But honestly, even in like, you know, if there is, you know, in times of war and like, like under dire circumstances, you can make a confession and this is pretty much everybody. And it's not necessarily, you know, there is like a big deal where it's like, Oh, if you don't get your last rites or whatever, you know, like has to be a priest, but that's not always, there's always like dispensation um, for dire circumstances. So they may be trying to play that up here. Um, But they also are straying quite a bit from (laughs) Catholic (laughs) <laughs> like <laughs> dogma in this specific show. And I think very much deliberately so. So, um, but anyway. So this uh, episode called Proverbs uh, starts with the confession, right? It's kind of like a flashback, I guess, or yeah, mm-hmm. uh, to to Father Hill going into the confessional and talking about Monsignor Pruitt's health when he went to Jerusalem and how he was much worse than anybody thought. And there's like the shot of him on the wailing wall, losing his marbles. Right. But this is also, you know, this is like, just to, to remind everybody from the last episode, um, Lisa, he had basically, it seemed as if he had healed her. Um, so she stood up um, and there is definitely that um, sort of that vibe going on. Like, something about like they know something's going on right (laughs) yes i believe everybody knows something is going on at this point uh he also has like staggered out of church after uh, this miraculously this miraculous healing uh and when bev comes to check on him um she also then just starts freaking out about something that's on his wall that we don't get to see till later but then everybody seems to be unable to look away from for the rest of these couple episodes and i feel like they give a lot to the thing on his wall because it's not very clear anyway, <laughs> especially um, when they zoom way in and it's like, like, Oh, I guess you could make yeah, that. If you squint, that. it looks like him. Mm. Uh, newsprint as um, you know, you might know does not always make for the best photos, especially in that, that, that style. It's just like blobs. Uh, yeah. But there's a lot going on in the Island, you know, before we get to his big old confession and background. Um, well, that's played out like, you know, in dribs and drabs over the, right. over the episode, the first things that start to happen are Lisa and her parents go to the doctor. And I found this to be actually kind of a, a really fascinating scene, mm-hmm. especially mostly because when she's like, well, we should go to the mainland and get more tests. 
and her father is like, you know, we rent the house we used to own and uh, we we're poor, basically we're broke. And, and, and then there's also the element of, we also don't want to question this miracle because this came from God and yada, yada, which I'm less uh, interested in. But the fact that the mayor, and I don't know what he or his wife actually do for, for a living, but the mayor is like, uh, I'm broke. I've I've put all my money into uh, medical expenses. I mean, the whole town is kind of broke though, with the oil spill and, you know, brain drain and people leaving and all that kind of stuff. It's yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's all gone to Bev and the church, right? And we, yeah. that part of the narrative, I think, is established. But the fact that usually in narratives, I feel like the mayor is considered a well-to-do. Uh, so yeah. it's, kind of, it's, it's also very telling about this community that, you know, it's, he's actually broke too because of his personal stuff and probably because Bev is just a manipulative, horrible parasite. Uh, and we haven't seen how wealthy she is, but I assume she has just like some sort of sick crib on the island. Maybe, but she's also there's also other stuff related to her that makes me question that. Um, but we can, you know, uh, we'll talk about Bev a little bit more later. But in this, like the especially the beginning, we see a lot with Lisa and her family and sort of what's been happening with after this, after her healing. And um, I do think that the scene between like she she actually goes and confronts joe who is the person that shot her and it is a rough scene <laughs> like a really rough scene uh, um, i thought the guy playing joe collie does a pretty fantastic job here yeah. he's, he's amazing I, and you know we, we talked about kind of like some places where like the kind of emotional rawness and the monologuing tendency doesn't work and this is a place where it like totally does, does. work i thought this was such a great a great emotional scene between the two of them. And oh, when I say it's yeah. a rough scene, I mean, it's really well done in that it's very, it's hard to watch and you can understand the pain on both sides. Yeah. And yeah. like the devastation that this has caused to both of them. Um, and, you know, it starts out one way and takes a really big turn. <laughs> like, so, um, <laughs> which sets up some things later on with Joe, but I thought that these two did such a fantastic job together. Um, Really. And again, this is one of the strengths of um, the series. And in fact, I think Mike Flanagan um, does an incredible job at uh, casting, you know, the cast that he, he ends up with and lots of people you'll see make appearances in, in a lot of his different projects. And this is no exception. Um, these two really just do such a great job. I was going to ask Kyle, since you've seen so many of his projects, do you, uh, do you see a lot of the same people over and over again? I understand that um, Aaron Green, the actor who plays Aaron Green, is in a lot of his stuff. But are there other familiar faces in this? Yeah, Kate, Kate Siegel, who's, who plays Aaron Green, is his wife and is in pretty much everything he's done, going way back to... Uh, a movie called Hush that he made like in 2015, I think. Um, but Joe, that actor, I forget his name, is also in Haunting of Hill House and the sheriff is also in Haunting of Bly Manor. Um, he, he he tends to work with a lot of the same folks over and over again. Oh, the doctor um, was yep. also in uh, one of his prior works. I can't remember which one. Um, definitely. He's one of those kind of like has a rotating cast of, of folks that he's working with all the time. I mean, we see this too with people like, um, oh God, what's his first name? That's James Gunn? Oh, I thought you were going to say Wes Anderson. Oh, and <laughs> Wes Anderson, like auteur type directors, I guess, who bring this like little flock of, of actors with them. 
and it's an interesting way to see these different performances out of the same people. And uh, I'm just curious, you know, if you're seeing anything that's really been standing out to you with this series versus the other things you've watched with Flanagan's. The actor who plays Joe is phenomenal in um, Haunting of Hill House, but he's he's better here. And then uh, I would say Rahu Kohli, who plays yep. the Sheriff Hassan. I think he was a warmer and more like charming character in Haunting of Bly Manor. And I miss some of that warmth in his performance here because his interactions with his son are... Um, are so so cold and i think that's part of who the character is supposed to be but i think it also keeps me a little bit from connecting with him a little bit so mm-hmm. i think he's still doing a good job but i i i don't connect with his performance quite as much as i did in in haunting of blind manor also he has a terrible accent he yeah. he flips too he slips quite a bit just yeah. let him be english just <laughs> i let, know let i was like it. just let the poor guy be british but um i understand why they didn't want him to be here the but um, playing ollie also has a little tiny bit of an accent i'm just like yeah. look these guys both obviously want to speak in a different way than you're making them can let you them. please just let them do it <laughs> um, oh um of course Hen- henry thomas uh is also oh, yeah. in almost everything he he's done for a long time uh, who uh, plays and is, the, is that father hill that no, no, no that's, that's the father the of um riley it's E.T. It's oh, E.T. E. Yeah. So that name just means nothing to me, Henry Thomas. But the, if you say E.T., then I know. <laughs> no, I think this is his first time working with with Hamish Linklater. OK, I love uh, Hamish Linklater, though. I think he's awesome. Um, but I also agree. Like, I think um, Rahul uh, Kohli is and he was in iZombie, too. And like, I do think he's a, a pretty versatile actor um, other than the accent piece. Um, but he's you know, very capable of showing that being like that warm, likable character. And I think in this case, it's deliberately being used um, to set him apart from everybody, not just including his son. And I agree, though, that it makes it much harder to connect and to empathize with him. Um, I felt like there was a fair amount of empathy. I mean, I I get it. Like the, the scene in this episode where he's telling Ali why he shouldn't doesn't need to go to church to see what's going on at St. Patrick's. Mm-hmm. I felt like that was a super interesting scene and, and some like great dialogue, but I, it, it, it felt heartfelt if, if a little cold, I guess, but it also, he was emotionally available in that scene. I didn't feel like he was kind of, um, you know, unavailable to, to Ali. Ali, if, if anything, is just a little bit like uh, one note. He's like, well, my friends are going, so I'm going, yeah. which is, I think, probably accurate for teenagers. I didn't, I didn't feel he was necessarily cold, but I feel like he is struggling with his own demons in such a way that even though he was giving this heartfelt speech, it was still hard for Ali to connect that with him um, or to connect that to himself. Because um, this okay. is, he even admitted that he kept things from him so that he wouldn't have to deal with it. But in doing that, he doesn't feel as strongly, right? So the kid doesn't feel strongly about his religion. And so that's, you know, I think that was a really, honestly, a really well done scene for that reason. But it's also an example. And this is, you know, of people going through painful things without connecting with other people. And this is definitely a Mike Flanagan theme, I would say, not just in this, but in others, um, other, other of his uh, creations. And 
Um, but I do, I do think Rahul Kohli does a great job other than the, the accent part. He tries really hard with the accent, though. And it is like you're just I wonder, like, there's just like moments when he just can't do it. And he, he just like sort of like roams around a word in a very funny way. <laughs> so it kind of <laughs> well, makes me laugh. Whatever you do, don't go on Twitter and tell Rahul Kohli that this is a slow burn show because he has kind of raged out on people. Not really not raged out, but he's like, you're wrong. I don't care who you are. You're wrong. I don't think it's that slow of a burn compared to some other things, honestly, because this is what episode I mean, they reveal certain things, um, though, as an aside, I rewatched that the one that we were talking about with the, the scene with all the cats on the beach. And it is so Jaws. But the funniest thing is, which I totally forgot to talk about last week, was that. They're hoping that it's sharks <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because that would mean that the fish are back. So that's also hilarious. Sorry. Um, but, you know, I don't think you know that something's out there. We know that something's happening and um, this isn't that many episodes of a series. So I do think that they progress the show quite a bit. But I do think that they they do spend a lot of time on interactions between characters and things like that in ways that other shows of this nature wouldn't. So I think that maybe for some others, it feels like a slower burn than yeah, it actually why, is. I think that's why the uh, the flashback scenes or the confessional kind of framing doesn't bother me so much is because I do appreciate how much it moves the story forward. I think there's a lot of shows these days that are kind of like have forgotten, like they think the mystery is the point Right. I I think you can trace a lot of this back to Lost, where J.J. Abrams basically said that his whole thing with Lost is just to perpetuate the mystery as long as possible to keep people invested in guessing. And what I love about this show is like stuff happens and like the story moves forward because of the stuff that happens. And when you're starting to like guess certain things, the show is just like, okay, you know, you've guessed that like, you know, Father Paul is actually Father Paul. Pruitt Monsignor so let's just get that out of the way and show you exactly what happened to him so we can move on to the next right action in the story which I do like I I agree with that too Kyle and I I like the fact that they haven't really been hiding too much including the fact that everybody who's been taking communion has been drinking vampire blood like I can't Mm -hmm. you know that was fairly easy to guess in the first couple episodes and then we get a really nice kind of like um, everything's great montage uh, Mm -hmm. to Neil Diamond I think that was Neil Diamond yes it was um and uh, like that's clearly the apex of everybody's happiness in this show, and it's only going to go down from here. Because <laughs> um, I think you, I think can, you can also guess that because it's narrated because it is narrated by a Neil Diamond song. That is like foreshadowing. Come on, I'm teasing. <laughs> I, I don't know the lyrics well enough to. Uh, just... No, I'm just teasing because it's Neil Diamond. Um, that nothing good could come. Nothing good can come afterwards. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah. anyway, no, it's it's true. And the montage was great in showing that. I also have to give kudos to whoever was doing the makeup because it's very subtle. Um, and so you have you have townspeople just looking slightly less tired. And as you know, as you pointed out, the, the you know, Riley's mom takes her, you know, she isn't wearing her glasses and the dad's back pain is gone. And, you know, of course you've got Lisa, which is more dramatic, but you have people like who are taking communion, having kind of subtle changes. And I think that they did a really great job at portraying that it wasn't just like, Hey, let's take off all the old makeup and make put, you know, slap a wig on them or take a wig off, you know, yeah. like I they mean, did it. 
I think there was fairly a fairly heavy hand on the makeup at the beginning of this series because they had to show that progression. Maybe, maybe. And in the case of like Mildred Gunning, yeah, yeah, Sarah, yeah. Sarah Gunning's mom, it was pretty thick. I don't know what that woman's going to look like at the end, but I, I feel like it might be um, like a 20 year old under there at the but when we're done. <laughs> Bravo. It is a 20 year old under there, I think. Um, but anyway, no, but I think that they did a nice job at showing this this kind of progression and what's going on in the town. Um, and also for a town that's so like just heartbroken over so many things like they're they're you know, they they basically have had nothing to look forward to. Nothing is going well. And they go from that to basically I don't want to say like religious mania, but that's kind of what it feels like to something more positive, something that, you know, is being given to them their perception by father Paul and by their belief. And that they, you know, they do a nice job at showing how this progresses and how it could progress so quickly. You know, you mentioned religious mania. And and one thing that I think is interesting is the contrast between that mania and uh, Catholicism. Cause I think you, you had a little discussion on this last week or last, you know, when the first two episodes, but um, the kind of sermons are increasingly uh-huh. non-Catholic. Feeling to me. They feel much more kind of like tent revivalist Methodist. That is kinda, exactly what they are. You know, and it, you know, my, my impression of Catholicism is that it's very much built around kind of set structures and routines. And so, you know, you have, you have specific um, kind of steps that you go through with each sermon and you, you know, maybe even have kind of similar themes and masses that get, get read and and that extends to the investigation of miracles as has been made famous by many you know horror films and and other works in the past um so none of none of what's happening here is playing out as it probably would in a catholic church that was in a more populated area but because they're stuck out on this island in you know the crock pot without much contact with the outside world like none of those kind of um structural elements of the catholic church can can come into play so it's it's interesting to me they're kind of like you know father paul is increasingly non-catholic in his approach or or kind of like um well and that's one of the things that i think is striking and i also think it's somewhat of a commentary because they are cut off they are in this little community and they can do whatever they want here and i do think that you find with certain religions and certain communities that this sometimes is the case. Like even though they're supposed to be following a specific thing, they sometimes can do in, in this case, they're vulnerable to um, the influence of father Paul and what he's teaching um, because they are a very isolated community. Um, have part, I ever- of, part of that isolation allows Bev Keen to do that this horrible thing in the classroom when right. uh, it seems like Sheriff Hakeem has asked for a meeting to discuss the fact that Ali came home from school, public school, yep. with a Bible that had been given to him. Uh, and her whole argument is terrifying. And again, amazing dialogue. And you can yeah, see just, how it happens. You I know, just you really dislike. Obviously, she's made it to be disliked. Uh, yeah. But I really dislike the fact also that. Aaron is not able to talk over her. Nobody in that room can stop her once she starts spouting. Yep. And it, I, I really, I really want someone to punch her in the face. And oh, yeah. I think the thing I love about that scene is that it does feel like it could genuinely go either way with the rest of the people in the room until mm-hmm. she kind of gets a good head of steam behind her. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Like they're, they're not all like, you know, 
not all the parents are totally against uh, the sheriff's position, but she kind of is able to to persuade them around to to her her way of seeing things just by kind of rhetorical force. What is shocking to me, though, because I maybe it's because we've only seen a couple of people's opinions of her, but the negative opinions, like maybe other people feel differently about that her, but I can't imagine that they do. Um, but we've heard negative opinions about her from Joe, from Riley, Aaron. Um, from Aaron. Um, and, you know, you can get a sense that Riley's mom doesn't isn't too much of a fan either, you know, so I can't like it to me, it feels like I don't know that she would have the the weight to be able to to push to swing around, basically, in this case, to throw around, Um, because I do think that the community has her number and they are resentful of her and do understand that they got basically scammed by her so i don't know that they would have like i i think that the way the scene went was fine i just don't fully believe that they would have supported her because she's bananas well i would say Um, not everybody in the room was actively supporting her even at the end of the rhetorical steam mm -hmm. engine uh because she not everybody's clapping there's 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 a shot of you know uh, the sheriff sitting there looking fuming and a few other parents also not joining in with the applause and the applause is mostly coming from there's three people behind the sheriff who are applauding and the mayor and his wife and it's also very telling that the like the, the secular power in this community is the sheriff and the mayor those are the only two people we even know about who run things quote unquote right and um they're completely outmanned or like outgunned by <laughs> by bev keen and and so what she's doing is breaking secular law uh, by putting Bibles in in public school classrooms, or you know, making children go home with them, or you know, offering them, or reading scripture for fuck's sake. I know in and, class, right? And yet, there's nothing anybody is going to be able to do about it, right? Um, and I will say, you know, like I have either of you ever lived on an island before? Because <laughs> it uh, is like a very England. specific. Well, I lived on a little island in like, you know, just for like a summer before I went to college and was not like just was there like probably oh, probably about like four or five months or so um, before I went off to college. And I will tell you that even during that short amount of time, there is a very specific there is a very even and I would have been considered an outsider because I'm an interloper just working there. But you there is a very specific way those communities work. And um, in this case, I think, you know, there is sort of like an idea that it's such a small population. And while Bev is spouting and people might not totally agree with her, she's still the latter voice or people just don't want to like cause controversy. So even though they might agree with the sheriff, there may not necessarily speak up um and so but i still i don't know given it seems and maybe and maybe that is the point is that like these people all have these doubts about her but maybe they're not going to ever confront her for this reason i don't and, know and by the ne- end of the next episode she is using her voice i don't know if this is a superpower but she's convincing people to do things that are completely insane by the, end oh, of yeah. the next episode oh my gosh yeah and so in a way like this is the the lesser of, the, yeah. of her miracles um, but back to the like the sort of tent revivalist feel, I think that's exactly kind of the point um, and how different it is from the Catholic Church, because Catholicism is very much about 
belief without seeing, if that makes sense. Um, like you, you need to believe in that miracle. There is a very specific um, set of um, activities that happen surrounding mass. It is very staid and it is quite frankly, very boring. Um, you know, sorry to any continuing practicing Catholics out there. I think um, there's a comfort in the boring. It's a comfort in it because it is a routine, but also, um, and then even in sort of declaring somebody to be a saint, there is a very specific way they go about it. And, you know, uh, there is not this sort of um, like ma this mania, this would all be frowned upon. This is very much against what they teach. Um, and there is, you know, this is a very different part <laughs> of, of, of a different type of belief. Um, you know, the, the, you, you might have people talking about miracles, but you, they're definitely not showing them to you. Like even having the whole, like in the prior episode, even having him ask, ask her to stand up was so like not, it's so not okay, quite frankly. And you saw the the way everybody felt about it. And then she did like, that is very much like, like tent revival evangelical kind of, um, yeah. kind of showmanship almost. Um, so, and then, so we see this kind of almost going to a frenzy on the Island. Um, and then uh, to your point, Stuart, the fact that there's only like a few people um, we've only seen people going to this church, like, we know the population of the island is what, like 160, something like that. Oh, they've said dozens. I don't even know if we have a number. But there's definitely people not going to the church. So we don't see as much of them. We just see sort of like our main. Yeah. We see that the church is filling up, but it's still not like necessarily everybody on the island. Um, so that's also kind of an interesting thing to think about. Like it's it's a big part of the population of the island, but it's not everybody. So it's kind of I almost wish that they had shown a little bit. We know a few people that don't necessarily buy into it, but we don't see like a huge group of these people kind of talking about what's happening with our crazy neighbors and their yeah. miracles. Right. I was also glad that Riley in, in one of their AA meetings challenges or at least questions the priest, Father Hill, Paul Hill, like, hey, you must have known that she could walk uh, when you asked her to get up, because if that hadn't worked out you would have been like run out of town uh, and, and, you know, he'll just you know, explains it away kind of with that hand wavy religious nonsense, excuse, excuse me. Uh, but as an atheist, I can say that because I'm channel channeling Riley. Uh, but I, I, I was glad at least that he was there and he's been a good challenging voice to the mania or even just like regular, normal, boring. Well, yeah. And what we, what we do know as this, the rest of this episode shows us is that he did know that she could walk because he's been healing her with this blood. <laughs> so yeah. it's not, he makes it as if he's like, Oh, I just knew. And it was something that and it's like, so he's basically lying to Riley about his, well, about what actually happened, which isn't shocking, but like, there's a question about how much he really knows. And I, I, I still have this question until the end of the next episode, I guess, but like, especially, Certainly at the end of this episode, he comes home from the AA meeting, I guess. And Liz like throwing up blood everywhere and appears to die. Yeah. Right. And you're like, oh, damn, that's that's that then. Uh, but then he pops back up. And at that point, I'm like, I don't know that he's had these kind of symptoms before. Is this a new development since he's been on the uh, vampire blood train? I assume it's new to him. 
but mm-hmm. he's still, and then maybe I'm going into the next episode, still the next day is like, oh, I'm going to go and give mass to Mildred Gunning because it's good for her. But I'm like, is he, is he losing his mind? Like he's clearly going through some stuff that he's not enjoying. And, and yeah. what, what, like, what does he know and how much is he being compelled by some unseen force? But I was kind of, I'm kind of curious about like, does he still think this is the best for the community or is he lying to himself and everybody around him? Well, and I also think it's, you know, part of when he does die in this scene is that like I actually thought he had been poisoned because he looked a lot like the dog with the foam coming out of his mouth and stuff. So hmm. I was almost thinking I thought maybe something would come that Bev was actually testing him or something. Um, but that's not, I guess, what is happening. Um, and I do think that it's a, a questionable whether he thinks that this is good for the community. I think that he's trying to rationalize and process what has happened to him in the way somebody, you know, who would like nobody's gone through this before. But um, when when he kind of goes through his confessional, you can see how he gets there. So I think that ultimately he thinks that he has been blessed, um, even if it means. But I think that that allows him to brush away the darker side of all of this. Um, I think in his heart is a heart of hearts. There's some things that he is troubled by. Um, yeah. And then definitely. And and I think that this, again, is deliberate, uses uh, specific examples uh, from the Bible to justify why it's OK. And, you know, and and I don't know, we can probably go into the, the confessional <laughs> piece now to talk about that. But like, I think he, Paul is not as guilty of justifying horrible things with the Bible as Bev is because she continues to well, do it. Right. But he's justifying it because of something specific he has gone through in this case with the with I, his I, his sorry. his res- restoration to youth, which I think would turn anybody into some kind of I don't know, <laughs> like I think anybody <laughs> would be like, whoa, I'm like 50 years younger. Go ahead. Yeah, HA, I think you're I think you're totally right in in that. I I do think that he's a true believer. Like, basically, I think I, I don't think he's. I don't think he's having to struggle to justify what he's doing. And in fact, there's some horrible things that are going to happen in the next episode that I think he's kind of mostly, uh, you know, they're not happening on the timeline that he wanted them to, but I don't think he's fundamentally upset Mm -hmm. by them um, because I do think that he basically believes very, very strongly that he needs to share the gift of this angel with the town like i think that's his kind of motivating force and so uh, you know he's any any ethical qualms that he has he's able to either rationalize or he doesn't even have them in the first place is how i read his his character Mm. yeah i mean Um, it's it's fascinating and i'm looking for i looking i am looking forward if we get to know more of his thoughts on this like how much he knows how much he's feeling about things like guilt or if it is just completely subsumed by fervor um, I don't know we need to get on to this, this next episode, um, but I also wanted to say like, or question or pose the question to you two. This is the first episode where we see the monster kind of in, in all its glory. It's still a little bit shadowy. There's the scene mm-hmm. in the, in the, in the uh, tomb with father Pruitt. what do you guys think? What are these, uh, this is the monster reveal. What do we, what do we think? I mean, I think that it was appropriate if you're trying to make something seem like an angel. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like with, Father Paul talking about 
Um, I did love the narration here in this in these flashbacks where you see how old he was and how confused he was. And I loved the idea that, you know, this community thought that they were doing, you know, a good thing to send him on this trip, but didn't understand that he was suffering from dementia. Um, and it's, you know, if you've ever dealt with anybody with dementia, this is exactly, you know, he's kind of, um, a lot of people try to pretend like they're okay because they're embarrassed that they're not or they're feeling scared that they're not okay. And this is exactly what's going on here. And he's surrounded by people that don't necessarily really know him. So um, this is believable and that he would get lost. Um, and especially for somebody who has the beliefs that he has um, and then to end up in this weird place in the desert and he's in Jerusalem, you know, and, and he gets saved by this thing and then of course he's like well you know angels are scary because that's what the bible says everybody's scared of them <laughs> um and that's kind of like and but it looks enough like an angel like it's got the wings and everything like that it's horrible i mean it's a yeah. scary thing and i thought that the makeup i liked the coloring of it i thought like it definitely looked like this thing that could live in the in the desert um i mean i want to know more about it in fact that's sort of my one thing like i want to know more about this thing and was there a religion based up around it was this like you know how did it get there <laughs> like i want to you know i want to know all the nitty-gritty um so i didn't get necessarily all of that i, I love that whole final scene in the tomb or, mm -hmm. or the the buried church or whatever it's supposed to be i think you know, there's it's so appropriately scary with, you know, him lighting match after match and the two mm -hmm. eyes just like kind of beaming out of the, the darkness curiously at him like, ooh, what's this? Um, I think the creature is exceedingly scary and um, I, I love the design of it. And I also find the way that it feeds to be very uncomfortably sexual, which I also yep. think is deliberate, um, but there's something very tender and about how it kind of caresses people as it's, uh, you know, drinking their life force. Um, so I think it is appropriately disturbing and um, and impressive at the same time. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with both of you. I thought it was an extremely impressive piece of um, prosthetic CG. Who knows? I'm not sure exactly. It was, but there, there was that one shot where he's like talking about how it's an angel and there's the halo behind it. And it's just sitting there still after it's fed contemplating, I guess, whether it was going to give him its blood, which it does spoiler alert. Uh, and I thought that was a, an amazing little just shot and like, and, and paired up with um, Linklater's narration I, I agreed like his his voice over these scenes are also kind of what made those really work um so cool yeah monster is revealed uh, we get more of it in like kind of almost a comical way in the next episode at the end of the next episode <laughs> but it's, it's comical but not right because some terrible things happen but it's yeah, um, but it is kind of comical too uh, so let's should we move on to lamentations is there anything else in proverbs that we need to uh to discuss uh, no, other than to say, you know, there's definitely just to to the point where, you know, whether this is this is definitely some approved um, being feeling like he's bringing a miracle back. But I do feel like the creature is influencing him. There's definitely some mind something going on here. Um, so that has to be noted because I think that also influences him in certain ways uh, later on. Um, but. 
Yeah, he describes like coming back to the States with this thing as like he would travel and then it would fly to him. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he wasn't sure if it always would, but it did. And yeah, you get the impression that he like just kind of got hooked on it after a while. Like a drug. Uh, So that is not shocking, given that he's now so much younger. I also the transformation from, you know, when he when he wakes up out of that tomb is just kind of amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. and with the sun coming down on him and everything and the creatures behind him, I thought that that was a great shot. Uh, so, so um, Lamentations is a a super depressing, mm -hmm. uh, in part because there's a a lot of like, oh, miscarriage is like a major theme here, even though it's not miscarriage, it's something else. It's you're a vampire. I don't know what, what, like how exactly to, to categorize what's happening to Aaron Green in this episode, but her pregnancy has been the central thing about her character why she came back to the island it's why she like slipped into this comfortable groove of what her mother used to do in the school and where she lived and everything well Uh, and it's also why you know she was able to leave an abusive relationship so um and just that it's like incredibly heartbreaking um and not you know in the way that they sort of do this is is really well done and really awful um just to to witness it and um you know she's but it also allows this these fantastic scenes between um Aaron Green's character um and uh and Riley which are definitely in, like really good exchanges um and then to to contrast that with everything else that's happening on the island um, so, you know, we went from the last episode, which definitely had this sort of more positive, upbeat aspects of what's happening on the island. And then this turns kind of dark because I think I think it's pretty clear or I, like to me, it was very clear that what was happening to her, what has happened to her is because she's been drinking the blood and that this is like another effect. Um, and we see that, you know, the priest died of it last time, so it can't be necessarily all good. So it's not kind of shocking that this would happen. But and the blood sample that Dr. Gunning has on the, on the countertop, which starts <laughs> like I can't even imagine how she would have how she could have responded to that. Of course, she's constantly being distracted by the fact that her like supposedly bedridden mother is like bouncing all over the house now and now looks more like uh, a 20 year old than an 80 year old. Right. Um, but again, like when I don't know, wouldn't you think that the doctor would say, hey, there's something weird going on with your blood, <laughs> you know, like something. It just seems a little yeah. a little bit like she might have told Aaron, hey, uh, I don't know what happened here, but your blood is burning in the sunlight. So maybe you should put on some sunscreen or something. So, yeah. Dr. Sarah is one of the only uh, addition additional to Joe Colley, Riley, um, Sheriff Hakeem and Ali some of the only characters with speaking roles who we don't see take communion. So right. um, I'm trying to also just to keep track of who, who isn't drinking the blood. And it's a, it's a fairly small number of main characters. I think right. that Aaron's um, loss of pregnancy, I guess is the best way to put it is super heartbreaking and also a very logical um you know, having set up the rules of the world and what the blood does to you, mm-hmm. it's a very logical extension of that. So, um, you know, I was impressed that the that the show kind of went there and went there so mm-hmm. so quickly. Um, uh-huh. I do think that it they made it a little bit more confusing than they had to by never, if I can remember right, never showing Aaron taking communion in the past because I was doing the same thing you were doing, Stuart, kind of keeping tabs once it became yep. clear that the 
that there was something about taking communion that was going to be helping people like, okay, who have we seen take it? Who have we not? And I, I could not remember a scene where they explicitly showed her. Um, I, I don't think that they communion. showed her actually doing it, but they showed her in church and I think they showed her in line waiting. It's just yeah. surprising considering she has kind of one of the earliest, like after uh, Liza, one of the most dramatic effects of it that they wouldn't include just like a shot of her episode that might be kyle while they why they made such a huge deal about riley going to church but not taking communion was because yeah. everybody else in there was going to be doing it yeah. and maybe and since right. yeah so i mean maybe that's like a cheap way of getting away with it without having kate siegel actually do communion on, on yeah. camera um but yeah i thought i thought that was uh was fascinating um uh i i uh, H.A., you kind of mentioned like the conversations between Riley and uh, Aaron that take place as a result of of this. And that's kind of where I think, you know, Flanagan's monologuing gets the better of him a little bit. Because yes. those went on. Yeah, I'm there with you. <laughs> well, well, so I was going to jump into that, but I didn't want to like show my hand too much. But yeah. Um, and this is exactly what I'm talking about in terms of the tendency to hit everybody over the head with a very specific thing that he's trying to get across. Um, and I don't need, I don't think it needed to be this long and I don't think it needed to be this heavy handed. So that, and I think you could have shown the connection between them. And I think you could have shown all the things that he was trying to do without sort of like an editor to me, an editor was needed here. <laughs> So that was that was like kind of, uh, you know, this was the part where the pacing was just really to me just really long and like, OK, why is this going on so long? I think we get it right. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it does feel self-indulgent as a from a writing perspective to to let this go on as long as it does. And then Riley also is like she tells him this really heartfelt, heart wrenching story about like her, her mom, her uh, abusive husband the baby bringing her all back here. And then he's like, yeah, it reminds me of myself. And he talks, he talks about his own issues for a minute. And I'm like, you're not supposed to do that. That's, that's the weakness of this whole Mm -hmm. way of writing characters is that you actually miss out on, on the ability to build character and build relationships through kind of uh, back and forth communication. Right. (laughs) Because it doesn't feel like two people talking to each other. It feels like, like, you know, on stage when they'll have to, uh, they do this a lot in, in stage productions where like one actor will be all the way on one side of the stage That's and exactly all, and what all the way on the other. Yes. And they're kind of like both having similar revelations, but they may not be in the same physical space or truly talking to each other. That's what it feels like with yeah. the kind of like back and forth way that that this is shot. And, and there's almost no even, you know, cuts to, to reaction shots from the other person because, you know, that it, it would just feel comical to do so because the conversation's been going on so long. So well, I definitely think that's the weakest part of the whole uh, series is, is this tendency to, yeah. to have the characters just. Yeah, well, kind of and it comic. struck me as being so strange and the way it went on so long, I was like, is one of them imagining this? <laughs> like, because it felt like they weren't even in the same room with each other. So I didn't know if this was some delusion one or the other was having. Um, and that's not what it was. It was just what it was, but it just seemed very odd. Um, but, 
Um, but yeah, and we can, and unfortunately this tendency does continue a little later. (laughs) Um, but, but on to other, other revelations in this episode, um, we've got, you know, the whole, the whole sort of, um, continuing vampirism of father Pruitt. Um, and this I thought was well done in that he's like, you know, um, he's he's definitely feeling more effects than he was before like he's very sunlight sensitive now um to the point where he's like um really he's not able to tolerate sunlight um there's definitely um you know um and you can see him suffering with it and he doesn't know quite what's going on so he's still trying to rationalize it um, and then is Bev actually figures out through this very blurry photo, I guess, on the wall, or she admits that she knows that he is Father Pruitt and not Father Paul. Um, yeah, and, and, and through the, the end of last episode and this one and that picture on the wall, we now have this like inner cadre of, of collaborators, of uh, yeah, vampire yeah. collaborators, but they're all doing it for Catholicism. Yeah. And that's the Mr. and Mrs. Mayor and Stur- is it Sturge or Sturgis, the like uh, island, Sturge, Sturge, the island handyman. Uh, he and none of them really seem really that into it. I mean, Sturge even talks about seeming scared of Father Hill later or Paul later on in this episode when Bev's like, Is he doing okay? And he's like, Uh, none of us wanted to get close to him because <laughs> they all watched him freaking reanimate, uh, in at the end of the episode yesterday. Uh, so I, I find it. I mean, I'm glad that there's a little bit of a uh, slide into what they end up having to do later, which is dispose of a body. But it's like an insane thing to think that these guys are just like, oh, yeah, OK. And I get that the mayor and his wife would be the most on board, considering yeah. that it was their child who was miraculously healed. Um, and, you know, the, none of these folks seem like the brightest bulbs in the box to begin with anyway so you know you you have kind of a the self-delusion of the mayor going all the way back to the scene with all the cats on the beach um i think that the rules of vampirism in this world are kind of interesting where you have you know father paul father pruitt whatever we want to (laughs) refer to him going forward monsignor has been drinking the blood for some time and it's been making him younger, but he was not truly a vampire until he died and was mm-hmm. resurrected by the power of the vampire blood. And so that's going to be interesting to see later how that all works because, you know, there's, there's now kind of a rule for when you are affected by the vampire blood versus when you're kind of like fully quote unquote a oh, vampire. That's a, that's a really good point. And I'm, I have been curious, like how many of these people are, are same of savable now like is Aaron going to die a vampire or or can she be brought back or if you stop drinking it at some point do you not have those uh like <laughs> those kinds of um, father hill shakes or his weirdness that he has certainly in this episode um I, well and then yeah. the other thing that occurred to me while watching this and because it does seem weird especially for like i agree like the mariner's wife that makes sense because they feel very grateful about lisa being um healed but sturge seems like kind of an odd choice um about why he would be sort of so on board with this and one thing i thought was and this is sort of to the sort of the rules of the the world um is that maybe because they've been drinking this they're a little bit more malleable 
um, because they they are holding the same sort of blood from the creature. Although that's, that, yeah, that's, that's a good point. I mean, because we don't we don't know, and we don't. That's part right. of back to where Father Hill is, despite the fact that he's suffering now and going through all these horrible things, and, and can't go to give Mildred her mass until after dark because now he's basically a baby vampire. Like and he still thinks that this is the best thing for her, and so to me, I'm like, all right, is Baby this? <laughs> now I want to see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, <laughs> like Boss Baby. But it's uh, so yeah. There's there's a lot of questions, and and I think maybe this is actually good storytelling and not really explaining if they are compelled or if they're just doing it out of mania. Um, I think that's actually kind of an interesting question that doesn't. I don't need it to be answered necessarily, but it maybe it will be later. There, I also want to another... point out that Riley has an X-Files poster on his wall. Yes, he does. Room. I've noted this. I've noted. And there's a, there's a, obviously it's a scene of him talking to his mom and she was in the X-Files and she's like looking past him to the poster. And I'm just like, yes, pump my fist. I know like a little bit of meta there. Um, there's uh, another question face- that does not, does not to my knowledge get answered firmly, which is an and HA. I think you alluded to this a little while ago. Like we never really find out exactly why, father paul died um in in the in the mayor's house or whatever um and and i do think that it was because of the poison i I think either bev poisoned him kind of to 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 check and see whether he was truly a vampire because she does bring him like water and food at some points oh and he doesn't that's right because he like doesn't want to eat the soup she brings yeah, or because he or wants blood. Other, I the other yeah. thing that I've like kind of been wondering is, you know, she's been poisoning all of the, all of the like island uh, fauna, and mm-hmm. as we've seen already, the vampire has eaten or drank the blood of a lot of cats, mm. um, and presumably other small creatures scurrying around. And so I wonder whether some of the poison made its way into the vampire blood, and and. Monsignor's been drinking the most vampire blood. Okay, um, that's another thing that's left a little bit open ended, which is whether yeah. whether he was poisoned either intentionally or accidentally, or whether there is something about the vampire blood that is in and of itself eventually toxic. Uh, toxic. Yeah. I'm curious. The, t- well, the 1080 that's... can does make a reappearance during the uh, the Neil Diamond montage last episode. It does well to show that she, which we all knew she had it, but you know. So, in it, but then there's like the really big scene during this whole thing thing where, um, you know, um, Joe um, makes his um, his redemptive arc is complete. Yeah. Like, so he's done his, you know, he, he got confronted by Lisa and we do see him sort of struggling with sobriety, but he's, he's made his appearance, these AA meetings, um, which is a big deal. We've seen him, sort of making good on his like he's he was really like truly at hit bottom and he's trying to come back and so this is like one of the biggest tragedies and honestly this is part of why i do think father paul is either being influenced or or this is the this is the story arc where i think he is trying to explain away things um that he should realize are very dark things in terms of what's happening to him but again a very a very good scene between him and father paul like joe like joe kind of comes across father paul in a very big moment of weakness we get the sense that 
the angel blood has not the angel hasn't been coming around or is missing for a bit. So Father Paul is definitely transitioning into a more like he needs like blood and he is feeling those urges. Um, And even Joe recognizes something uh, addictive about what Father Paul is doing. Like he mentions he kind of makes a joke like been there in there, you know, all that kind of thing. And this scene between them is really, again, a really tough scene. And the guy who plays Joe is incredible. When Father Paul holds out his hands for that hug, I'm just like, oh, my God, that's a death hug. You can I see know, it. Right. Right. And, and, and Joe is like, and even the moment when he realizes that it's that it's not going where it should be going is, is pretty rough. Um, right, but it was gonna, well I'm done. I'm going to go. I'm just going to. All right. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. <laughs> It's really rough that he's. It's really rough that he's conscious for it all. It's it's it, it's so sad, you know, because he's he has just kind of like had a moment of of mm-hmm. triumph. And I was I was a little bit hard on Rahul for his accent, but I think that he is wonderful yep. in that scene in the um in the grocery mm-hmm. or whatever where, you know, Joe's obviously standing by the case wondering what he's going to do, and and the sheriff's just kind of like, "What kind of night am I going to have, Joe? You tell me," um and he's like the perfect combination of like knowing and tough, but also not directly Mm -hmm. attacking. And I just, I like that interaction a lot. And then Joe leaves without, you know, buying anything, which is such a huge triumph for him. And then it's so tragic that he immediately has his, has his brain sucked dry. (laughs) Yeah. It becomes a slurpee. This episode has two instances of characters being like, I'm going to go talk to father Paul and it going extremely badly for them. Right. And in this case, I mean, this is, this is a pretty rough scene and, you know, like, and even the horrible part where father Paul's like, Oh, I'm proud of you, Joe. Oh, and you did this great thing. And then he like, he just just eats him. <laughs> doesn't, I don't think he means to, yeah. obviously, because at first no. he apologizes, right? But and it's not like the serial killer going, "Oh, sorry, I'm going to have to eat your liver." It's more like, "Oh, damn, I didn't know this was going to go this way." But he's 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 overcome by his compulsions. Yes, and yeah, while while Joe can come can overcome his addiction, right. Father Paul cannot. Um, ah, yes. Yep, and then you know, and then the great, not the great, but it is. The, the scene where um, the body is discovered <laughs> with like by the mayor and uh, Bev and Sturge and, you know, Bev's quick clean. Like, I mean, Bev must just be a cleaner for the mafia or something, but she's just like, all right, this is what we're going to do. And then you're going to. You're going to get rid of all these people here yeah. for mass. Um, and their looks on their faces are incredible, but they do what she's saying, which is why I do think there has to be something happening um She's so unfluttered or unflapped by yeah. when he holds his hand out to the sun and it burns she's just like right. okay okay yeah so this is god working through you or whatever <laughs> and like, then, but she's also like all right this is what we're gonna do like she's yeah. got a plan and she's very fervent in her beliefs and enough so that i guess these other people are going to go along with the cover-up but the cover-up is so brutal and they're sitting there like i mean it is a brutal scene there is like blood washed across the floor he is covered in it um there is no question about the fact that he is involved in this um and that something very strange is happening and so i do think that this was a well-done scene but again the actor who plays Bev is incredibly like she's just unlikable. And even in this sense, I mean, we're, 
we're talking about a woman who who poisoned Correct. the dogs for like kids. she's unlikable you know I mean? and like- and but <laughs> she's getting things done and so um you can also see how uh father pruitt is now somewhat dependent on her and i think that that's kind of what she wants too um because now she's got a secret um yep. it's also interesting to me how how much um paul hill father pruitt bounces back after dark mm-hmm. uh he like when when riley goes to that aa meeting that night uh after the the day of cleanup i guess at, at the father's house um when he looks over and like the door is locked at first he looks over at the uh at the rectory i think that's mm-hmm. the name of the house where the dude lives right and he's standing on that porch the yep. way he's standing is so predatory and disturbing yep. Uh, I really like that little, just that shot. And then he kind of like snaps out of it and walks over and starts talking normally. And, and then he's fairly, uh, you know, alive and, and almost normal uh, during the, the AA meeting, except that he tells a lie that Riley is convinced uh, means that everything is, you know, nothing is nothing here is what it seems. But right. I'm, when I hear that, he, all he said was Joe Colley has gone to visit his sister. He doesn't say gone to stay with her and they're going to go and do things. I think that it is acceptable vernacular to say, I'm going to go visit my grandparents and then go to the cemetery. Right. Um, well, and I think that's part of why Riley goes, because I think he almost he's trying to give him the, sort of the benefit of the doubt. He's already told his mom that Father Hill's a liar. Like that's fighting words in his house. It is. It is. But I think he still was like, even when he went to talk to Father Paul, like was you know, hey, is there an explanation for this? Like, why did you lie? Like, what happened? Like, he knows something, but he knows something's off. And Riley, you know, the interaction between them during the AA session is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see the doubt in Riley. Oh, he shuts down. I love that scene. When, as soon as he's like, oh, his sister. And then you look at his face and it's just like the prison bars are coming down over his face. He's just like, yeah, we're done here. I thought that was great. And then I do think that this was a great, you know, cliffhanger of an ending of an episode, which clearly I couldn't resist moving on to the next one. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, you know, and you see, like, it also clears up a couple of mysteries because Riley goes in to confront Father Paul and sees like him putting the blood in the decanter. Well, sees the vampire in there. And yeah. sees the vampire. Well, sorry, sees the vampire, the vampire, but the vampire yeah. dressed up with the hat and everything. <laughs> with, like, with barefoot. That like what I yeah it was it was kind of just funny that he just kind of comes in puts up a quiet finger uh, and then stomps over to the altar and the way that they did the foley work for his footfalls I thought was oh, really yeah, interesting good. like this is a great massive creature or you know something about the way his feet sounded in that room was really uh, monumental. But he also has a great physicality and like stride to him as he comes yep. across the room. There's like some sort of something about his posture and the way that he walks that is very kind of like heavy mm-hmm. and ethereal at the same time. Um, and and you do get the impression of a lot of power from him. I love that shot where, you know, the camera's panning back and forth and then you just kind of find the vampire there dressed mm-hmm. in the human clothes out of focus in the background. Um, it's it's super creepy. And it clears up the mystery of who Riley saw yep. on the beach in the first episode. Yeah, but yeah. That, sh- that scene, I think, was uh, manipulated even more to make the vampire look unrecognizable. Yep. Because like, in that scene, mm-hmm. it almost looks like a thin man. You know, like yep. it's it's weirdly skinny and maybe it was then maybe because it's been drinking people like bowl the island drug dealer and all those cats maybe it's filled out a little but also father paul's reaction to seeing riley there and he's like 
It's almost like, oh dear. <laughs> oh, whoops. I, I love that. I love, I love that in this show where everyone's given the opportunity to just like, you know, as, as to good effect and bad to like be so big and showy with their acting. Like my favorite moment of acting in the whole show. One of my favorite moments of acting, like in anything I've seen recently is just that like little, Oh yeah. That it's Paul, amazing. Paul when you see this right there. It's perfect. It's just like, okay, things are going to be a little different than I expected, but it's okay. Yep. It's kind of how I read it. And then, um, you know, the vampire obviously like kind of swoops over to, to jump on Riley and start drinking his blood. And Father Paul just gets up and with like just a little bit of resignation and a little bit of like, of like everything is fine, just yep. closes the door. <laughs> it's it's so really chilling. chilling. I, and I love it so much. Yeah. It, it, uh, I just thought Hamish hey, hey, Linklater oh, so in this good. scene was just absolutely perfectly modulated. I feel like I just he's been it killing it the whole the whole series so far, and I I get it, H A, why you couldn't stop here and went on. Um, <laughs> I, I super get it. I wanted to also, but I, I'm now my mind is just spinning. I'm like, is okay. So this show was kind of about Riley. I thought because he was in the cold open. But now he's done. Is he out or is he going to be reincarnated like Father Hill? And so I'm just like all the possible permutations from here. I'm I'm really excited kind of to see. I mean, I would be fine if he's out of the show in a way like, all right. So that was his arc. And now the other characters have to pick up and, and take it over. And it's going to be about Sheriff Hakeem and Aaron and Dr. Sarah. And they're going to be like the, the hero. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping. I don't know. We'll see. I'm very excited. All right. Well, we'll have to to talk about that next time <laughs> do you want to close out when you guys are done having knowing looks at each other um, I, that was a knowing that was a knowing look if ever there was, was one a knowing silence right there, okay yeah. well yeah if we, do we have anything else to add for for uh, lamentations i will actually just add that proverbs and lamentations were both kind of name dropped in these two episodes i don't remember if genesis and what was the second episode's titles were name dropped in the episodes but i thought that was a little odd um because Lisa's like, do you know what a proverb is, Joe Collie, you <laughs> dummy? And then uh, Aaron Green's mom had been <laughs> needle pointing really depressing quotes from Lamentations yep. onto <laughs> furniture. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, okay, those are those those things happened. Um, we will be back next time. All right. I think that sounds good. Okay. So next time, join us again for five and six. That'll be up Gospels and Act of the Apostles. And um, hit, us, hit us up on Twitter at ReanimatedPCast or on uh, email at ReanimatedPodcast at gmail.com and uh, show notes with links to things like that GalaxyCon Q&A with the cast of Black Summer on our, po- uh, on our podcast website at ReanimatedPodcast.com. And until next time, ciao. Thank you. And toodaloo. <laughs> and Kyle. I don't think I have a closing. I, mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm involved in this part. Perfect. <laughs> Nailed <everybody>. it. <laughs> okay. <laughs>